I greet you in the high and holy name of our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. A few moments ago when I was greeting the acolytes and thanking them for their service, uh, the beautiful mother of one of the acolytes said to me, uh, years ago when you were a pastor at Trenum Road, I was an acolyte for you. <laughs> so she said, could, could we get a picture taken right after the service? And of course I said, yes. Immediately I thought, you know, I'm getting older. <laughs> <laughs> but it made me feel very proud. Yes. Uh, let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Many years ago when I was a rookie pastor, I was assigned as pastor of two small churches on the north side of Columbia. And one day I was riding through a subdivision near one of those churches, and I noticed a moving van, and it was obvious that a new family was moving in. So I made a mental note of the location. The next afternoon I went back there with the intention of welcoming the family, inviting them to our church. I went to the side door, the one opening onto the carport, and I rang the doorbell. And the instant I rang that doorbell, I heard a deep bass growl like thunder, and the hair on the back of my neck stood straight up. I glanced over my shoulder, and about 30 feet away, there was a huge German shepherd dog with malignant glowing eyes and pearly white teeth in a crouched position, staring at me. I began to very gently and gradually move away from that door toward my car. No sudden movements whatsoever. All the while speaking words of pastoral comfort to the dog. <laughs> the dog kept the same distance between me and him as I eased toward the car watching me, almost daring me to make a sudden move. It was a Baptist dog. <laughs> ne Never in my life have I seen a dog that had such a problem with a Methodist preacher. <laughs> By the grace of God, I got to my car, jumped in, slammed the door, said a prayer of thanksgiving, and went on home because fear had dissipated my energy level I didn't do anything else constructive that day other than make a phone call. I, I called my dear friend, the local Baptist preacher, and told him a new family had moved in. <laughs> and I was pretty sure they were Baptists. <laughs> you know, the very fact that we Methodists and Baptists can kid each other is a sure sign of our mutual love and respect. The fear that I felt that day is a common commodity in our culture today. I mean, you just look at your morning newspaper and you turn on television news and you're going to find all kind of things that could make us fearful and anxious. The North Korean dictator is working feverishly to develop a nuclear weapon and a delivery system because he wants to 
point it at us. Uh, while the stock market is soaring right now, you know as well as I do that it can come down faster than it goes up. It can gyrate like a roller coaster. The animosity today between the two major political parties in our country is so intense that they can hardly cooperate on anything. And though the ISIS caliphate has been wrecked, thank the Lord, Islamic terrorists are active in every part of our world today, driving intently toward the time when they can kill us in large numbers. Five years ago, a poll was taken of Americans in their 20s. We're talking millennials. And one of the questions in that poll was this. What is the basic feeling you have about life? 60% answered fear. Fear. And my perception is that five years later, nothing much has changed. The level of fear and anxiety are still widespread in our culture. Yes, there are reasonable causes for concern. And we Christians are not Pollyannas. We don't play pretend games. We Christians do not hide from reality. However, God's people must never be intimidated by fear or anxiety. We believe the powerful message delivered by the prophet Gabriel to the Virgin Mary Nothing is impossible with God. And the purpose of my message to you today is to help us become what St. Paul called us to be, more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Now, the scripture lesson today from the book of Numbers gives us, uh, shows us a stark difference between fearful and faithful people. Let me set the scene for you. The time is approximately 1,400 years before the birth of Christ. Some 600,000 Israelites have been migrating for 40 years across a hostile desert from slavery down in Egypt toward Canaan, the promised land. And finally, after all those years and all those ups and downs, they come to the border of the promised land. And then God instructed Moses, the leader, to send out 12 spies to reconnoiter the land. They were gone 40 days, and then they returned. They were unanimous about one thing. This is some kind of fruitful, beautiful, productive land. It is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. But that's when their verdict broke down into two different camps. The majority, the majority said, the people who live over there are huge giants. They live in fortified cities, and there is no way we can go in and displace those people. Ah, but two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they disagreed. They said, we should go in. We should enter Canaan at once. We are well able to overcome it because the Lord is with us. Do not fear the people over there in the land. But those ten fearful spies disagreed vehemently. They said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Why, compared to those giants, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now, that comment is quite revealing. Those big people over in Canaan did not say to the little Israelites, 
hey, you little fellas look like grasshoppers to us. No. The grasshopper comment came from the ten fearful spies. In other words, it was self-imposed. The grasshopper mentality always begins with a low estimate of ourselves. Sometimes we, like those ten fearful spies, get overcome by fear and anxiety. We begin to see ourselves as weak and puny. Then we assume that others see us that way. And that is a formula for futility. I love the story about the Texas rancher who was visiting Australia. You know, many Texans, um, they have a glorious picture of Texas in their mind. They, you know, they've never seen anything as big and impressive and beautiful as Texas. And this Texan had that attitude. He visited a ranch in Australia, a big ranch, 2,000 acres, took a tour of it, and he told his host, he said, this is nice, this is nice, but your whole ranch could be put in one corner of my spread back in Texas. He inspected the cattle there in Australia. He said, yeah, they're well-fed, they're healthy, good. Ah, but my longhorns out in Texas, way bigger, way bigger. About that time, a kangaroo came bounding by and sort of startled the Texan. He said, what in tarnation is that? And his Australian host said, y'all don't have any grasshoppers out in Texas? <laughs> well, a grasshopper, even if it's as big as a kangaroo, is still a grasshopper. And that's what we are when our fears and anxieties are large and we doubt the sufficiency of our primary source. We're grasshoppers. We might as well start hopping around instead of walking because that's what we are. When our fears and anxieties are large and we doubt the sufficiency of our primary source, we're grasshoppers. Now, a primary sponsor of the grasshopper mentality is the devil himself. Uh, you know, Satan is the father of lies, the Bible tells us, but he is a masterful salesman. And he tries to sell us three persuasive lies. First, the devil tells us that we are not smart enough or educated enough to accomplish much. He says to us rather sarcastically, who do you think you are? You don't have an advanced degree in this or that field that's under discussion right now. There are a whole lot of people out there smarter than you are. Don't you know that? Ah, but the Word of God contradicts the devil at this point. St. Paul said, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And writing to the church in Corinth, St. Paul said, Not many of you were wise by human standards, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Most historians agree that the greatest president in U.S. history was Abraham Lincoln. But Abraham Lincoln never even went to high school, much less college. But he could read. And he read through the Bible cover to cover countless times and allowed the Word to permeate his soul. He quoted the Bible in almost all of his major addresses. He trusted more in the wisdom of God than in the wisdom of man. And that was one of the keys to his greatness. 
Satan's second lie is that we don't have enough ability or strength to accomplish much. And now there's a little bit of truth in that one. Because if we trust in our own strength alone, no, we're not going to do anything of eternal significance. No, but that's okay because the strength of God Almighty is present and available to us. In fact, we are only truly effective when we allow God's power to flow through us. St. Paul, he was even bold enough to brag about his weakness. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. For when I am weak, ah, then I am strong through Christ. Some have said it, that the 10 most powerful words in the Bible are Philippians 4.13. And I think every Christian ought to have this one memorized. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, many of us saw the opposite of the grasshopper mentality on display a few weeks ago, especially if we are football fans. And if you happen to be watching the Peach Bowl, because you're aware that the University of Central Florida defeated Auburn and completed a perfect season without a single loss. And if you were watching that game, you couldn't help but notice that the star linebacker for UCF had only one hand. Joachim Griffin is his name. He and his twin brother are stars on that team. He was born with a congenital birth defect that caused extreme pain in this left hand. The doctors tried everything they could to save it, but nothing worked. And finally, when the little boy was four years old, they amputated his hand. But that did not decrease his passion for football at all. He loved the game. However, at every level of his development, junior high, high school, college, Coaches and adults told him that there's no way you can be successful with one hand. However, Joachim grew up in a family that would not allow the word can't in their vocabulary. And several years ago, a new coaching team came to UCF and they gave Joachim his chance. And all this year, and especially in the Peach Bowl, Joachim Griffin demonstrated to the world that a one-handed linebacker is not handicapped. Indeed, he can be a star. And I've got a feeling that he's going to demonstrate the same thing in the National Football League. There's a third lie that the devil tries to sell us, and it is this. He says to us, has, ever, has the devil ever said this to you? Look at your history of failures. I mean, come on, nobody with your dismal record can accomplish much. Well, when I hear that lie, I thank God for Simon Peter because the great big fisherman was a colossal failure. On the night before Jesus went to a cross for us, on that night when he was being badgered by enemies on every hand like a pack of wolves, all his friends ran out on him. And the leader of the pack, Simon Peter, denied three times that he even knew Jesus. 
Ah, but on the other side of resurrection. Jesus met those disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee early one morning. He cooked breakfast for them. And after breakfast, he turned to Simon Peter. He did not say a single word of reproach to this disciple for his awful failure. He just asked him three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He gave him three opportunities to redeem those three awful denials. And then he appointed him to be president of the infant church. The wimp became a warrior. The only real saints in this world are redeemed sinners. Sinners in recovery. And that includes all of us. The way to overcome the grasshopper mentality is to remember three things. Who you are, whose you are, and where your power comes from. Who are you? You are a precious creation of God Almighty made in His image. You are absolutely unique. God made only one like you. Whose are you? If you have repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you are an adopted child of God, having been ransomed by His sacrificial death on the cross. Can you be sure that you are forgiven, saved, and heaven-bound. Yes, you can be absolutely sure. Not based on some way you feel. Feelings are fickle. You can feel one way or another depending on what you had for breakfast. God didn't want you to, to have the confidence of your salvation based on feelings. So God inspired one of his servants, to put it in black and white. Your guarantee of salvation is in Holy Scripture. In 1 John chapter 5, we read these words, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The third thing you have to know is where your power comes from. And of course, it comes from the Holy Spirit implanted in your heart and mind the moment you first repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. St. Paul reminded us, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. One of the most precious promises in all of Scripture is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So the cure for the grasshopper mentality is not to psych yourself out, pretending that you're some kind of superman or superwoman. Indeed, if you have no resources other than your own, you're a grasshopper for sure. The cure is to remember three things. Who you are, whose you are, and where your power comes from. Here are some personal questions for you and me. What challenges could you possibly be backing away from today because you doubt you could succeed? I mean, here early in 2018, what would you attempt this year if you knew God would help you? 
I mean, would you develop a new skill? Would you even try a new vocation? Would you seek an educational degree? Would you try to win a particular person to Christ? What would you dare to try if you knew beyond doubt that God would furnish the needed wisdom and power? Earlier, I mentioned the two small churches that I served when I was a rookie pastor years ago. In one of those churches was a young man named Christy. He was about 19 or 20 at the time. He loved the Lord. He loved the church. He came to me one day and he said, Brother Bill, uh, I've always had this fear of speaking in front of people. But I think the Lord wants me to overcome it. I, I don't feel called to be an ordained minister like you are, but I think the Lord wants me to be able to lead his people in worship. And would you help me? I said, sure, Christy. I said, we'll have you read the scripture Sunday. And I told him what the scripture was going to be. I said, you read it over a few times. I'll invite you down to the front this coming Sunday. Sunday came. I invited Christy to come front, read the scripture. He started reading. I was looking down at my Bible. And the first thing, first way I knew that something unusual had happened is I heard a collective gasp from the congregation. And Christy had keeled over. Well, the men rushed and picked him up and laid him out on the front pew. And one of our medical people came and checked his vital signs. Everything was fine there. Some of the ladies brought some wet washcloths and washed his face. And in a little while, Christy sat up. He was fine. He was terribly embarrassed, but he was fine. He had just fainted, stage fright. Following week, Christy comes to me and he said, Brother Bill, I'm terribly embarrassed about what happened. But I've prayed about it, and the Lord does not want me to give up. And uh, I know that if I surrender to this thing now, I'll never conquer it. Would you be willing to give me another chance? I said, your own, Christy, your own. This coming Sunday, here's the scripture. Read over it. Be ready. Following Sunday, as Yogi Berra would say, it was deja vu all over again. <laughs> but this time, he never hit the floor. The men were ready for him. They caught him, <laughs> caught him in midair, laid him out on the pew. The ladies brought the washcloth, swabbed him. In a few minutes, he was sitting up again. Following week, some people stopped me on the street and said, when are you going to have Christy faint again? I want to bring some friends to, to see that. <laughs> now, here's the rest of the story. Christy prayed, and the Lord said to him, I don't want you to give up, and I'm going to help you. Christy joined an organization called Toastmasters. This is an international organization with a chapter in every city, a group of people who meet together once a week, one of them gives a short speech. The rest of them give encouragement, support. Christy joined Toastmasters. Within a year, I learned he had become president of Toastmasters in Columbia. Then about a year later, Christy told me that he had signed up to take the lay speakers course in the Methodist church. He completed that course and became a certified lay speaker. Within two years, 
Christy was preaching in various churches in our district when a pastor had to be away for one reason or another. And he was doing so effectively, joyously, and he was not fainting. He went on to become a state officer in the Gideons organization here in South Carolina. Christy's courage and God's power forged a miracle. Christy is no grasshopper. He is more than a conqueror through Christ who loves him. How can you become more than a conqueror? It's a matter of remembering three things, and I want you to say them out loud with me. Who you are, whose you are, and where your power comes from. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.